Good morning, church. These brothers be up here working, boy. We love it. Jabari, Henry, and mi hermano. They be sweating up here, boy. They, you can tell they put their heart. Their sisters, they be trying to keep everything right. You know, don't want to sweat too much, but they be sweating too. They giving their hearts up here. Amen. It's good to see everybody. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. We're going to start a new series today called Covenant Relationships. And I'm really excited to get into this. So let's go to God with the word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father God, we're just so grateful that we have a place where we can come to you and worship. Uh, Father, we know that there are uh, so many groups who are looking for a home, a place to come together where they can worship you openly, and we get to do that each and every week. Father, our situations may not always be ideal, but we are grateful nonetheless that we get to come together as a family and worship you and be encouraged by singing and to hear your word and to Spend time with each other, God, that we don't get a chance to do each uh, throughout the week. So we do, we're grateful, and we pray, Father, that you will help our hearts to be open uh, to taking our relationships higher and deeper, that we can imitate Jesus' example in relationships as we do his personal example in his relationship with you. God, we love you. I pray that my words will be yours. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. T- today we're going to talk start a new series called Covenant Relationship. It's a, a great series. Um, our brothers over in the Orlando church started this a few while, a while back, and I thought, hey, I reached out. I said, look, we're working on the same thing. Can we swap notes? Can, we, can I, can I uh, get some information from you guys? And I think it's great that we have a fellowship where we can encourage each other in that way. You know, I've had brothers reach out. Hey, bro, I preach your whole message word for word. Do you mind? Like, look, man, this is a family. We're encouraging each other. What God put on my heart, puts on your heart. Let's share. Amen. And I, that's an encouraging thing. But over the years, I think we've seen a need for the recommitment to spiritual relationships in the church. And this is a great need in Harlem. I can't speak for other regions, but I can tell you it's a great need right here in Harlem. And I believe that we all agree that we need friends. Some of us may prefer not to have friends every day, but I think overall, we can agree we need friends in our lives, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I like to go to the movies. Uh, You know, I I don't mind catching a movie if it's, we all agree that we do better in life with people we love and trust who are there to help us and meet some needs in our lives. And I believe that we also all agree that It can't work without commitment. You have to have a mutual commitment to friendship in order for it to work. Now, I know you're probably thinking that James is just talking about discipling and calling it something else. And you would be right if you said that. See, our goal in this series is to re-motivate us, is to get us to commit back to spiritual relationships. So I want to give you... Uh, Just what to look forward to. You know, we're going to talk about recommitting to relationships. Giving us in our lives and reviving those New Testament, one another relationships that the Bible teaches about. We're going to talk a little bit about that 
And, you know, one of the keys to making these relationships happening is, is a vulnerability. And we know that when we enter a relationship, we give our hearts to those relationships, which leaves us open to be hurt. And so we're going to talk about reconciling relationships. Because if you have given your whole heart to relationship in the past, chances are you have been hurt in that relationship or may have hurt someone in that relationship. But we need to talk about how to reconcile relationships because I do believe that Satan has used that as a stumbling block for a lot of us to keep us from giving our hearts again to relationships, especially in the church. And then lastly, I hope to inspire you and to remind you that there are rewards to being in in spiritual and godly relationships. You know, I love what our sister Leslie shared about seeing one relationship in the world and just how that was hurting her and leading her down a different path. And, And I'm sure many of us can relate to that. You know, we probably were so connected to some of these relationships that we were blinded to how they were really hurting us spiritually. And some maybe even emotionally, mentally, and physically. And then God shows us another solution to that by offering deep spiritual relationships. And we have reaped the benefits of those deep godly relationships. I know I have, and I'm pretty sure most of you have. And so today I want to start, this is sort of an intro. And the title of today's intro is, I Have Called You Friends. I have called you friends. Got an itchy trigger finger over here. And this is the quote Jesus in John chapter 15. So we're going to talk simply about friendship. You know, I know this is something that's come up in the Edge ministry. How can we, t- how can we just forge friendships between brothers and sisters without any uh, expectations? Or how can we just be normal around each other? And, you know, and believe it or not, it's not a single issue. This is a people issue. Because if you've come from not having friends in the world to now you're expected to be in a relationship, that could be challenging for some people. And I was one of those people, and I'll share a little bit more about that later. I was a loner in the world. I didn't have to be with people. I enjoyed when I was, but I could go a whole day without making a phone call. Back in those days, we didn't do text messages. We actually wrote letters. So that was kind of our text. But I could go, I could spend time... And, you you know, I used to have a silent prayer that I was the only child, you know, I had brothers. I used to pray, God, how come I couldn't have been the only child? I don't like my brothers. Do something with them. You know, I used to pray those prayers because I enjoyed being alone. And then I realized that, man, that's not a good thing, James. You need friends. You need people in your life. And so today we're going to talk about friendships. Is that all right with you? Life is better with friends. I know some of us, you know, we may be fine just being alone. And sometimes that's that's a necessary, that's that's a need. Sometimes you need some time just to be alone. But I think overall, I think we can agree that life is better with friends. I mean, who throws a birthday party for themselves? Right? Isn't it better when you have friends who come and they bring gifts? I mean, it's just better with friends. And, and I think there are things that we love, to, we love to do and love to enjoy with friends. And I'm really going to emphasize the men during this series because friendship doesn't come naturally for men. 
And I think either you, you didn't hear amen from the brothers because they know it's true. I heard an amen from a sister. She's like, yeah. It doesn't come naturally for us. And so I'm really going to be talking a lot to the men because, sisters, I, I don't want you to feel left out, but I think this is really a big man issue. And I think if we can help the brothers deepen relationships, I believe that if we can, we can help the brothers develop and deepen their relationships, it will not only help their overall health in relationships, but I believe it will help the whole church as a whole. Most men are loners, afraid to commit to deep relationships. And the sister said, amen. I personally relate to that. When I came to the church, I didn't want to go on dates. I didn't want to hang out with women. I just wanted to be with Jesus. Why? Mostly because I was afraid of commitment and what that would mean. I didn't think I was going to last a year as a disciple. Not because I couldn't read my Bible every day. Not because I couldn't pray. Not even because I thought coming to church was a challenge. Because I knew once I said Jesus is Lord, I am committed to that relationship. That was the scariest thing for me. Was knowing that once I gave Jesus my heart, I had to follow through. And I do believe that the key to the overall direction and growth of the church depends on the relationship of the men in this church. I understand the sisters have needs. And some of you may be like, well, we can get a little closer. But it's a lot easier for you guys to get closer than it is for men. It comes more natural for women, I believe, than it does for the men. Men have a little more difficult time bonding. We don't have play dates. We don't go shopping together. We don't do laundry together. We don't sit across each other in Starbucks holding hands, crying it out. We don't do those type of things. For us, it takes a little more activity. We need more distraction. We need noise. We need things blowing up. We need to smell meat burning. We need to have drinks passed around, non-alcoholic. All right? Water is God's soft drink. We require food. We require drinks to wash down that food. And then we require activity to work off that food. We don't bond like you do. So when you say, why don't you call up a brother or why don't you talk to somebody, that's like speaking another language to a man. But when you talk about hanging out, we can have brothers over to watch the game, and that'd be the most bonding time of the week. Sisters will be going crazy like, y'all didn't talk about nothing? Well, what did he say? Did you? It's like, he didn't have to say anything. That's how we bond. And it drives women crazy. This is me and a few brothers. At a Giants game. That right there is my neighbor, my neighbor Greg. We're reaching out to him. He's a Dallas fan. And I've been trying to find a way to get him, so I came across some tickets, found some brothers who were available, and we bonded. We're having a blast. It was freezing. We're having a blast. There was no deep conversation happening right here. 
except teasing my, my, my uh, neighbor about being a Dallas fan, and I believe we won that game. That's why I was so excited. But you know, our men's retreat, they look very different from a women's, men's retreat, women's retreat. You see all you see the looks on these brothers' faces? I don't want to single one brother out, but I kind of look at, I'm like, man, that brother look angry. But that's just how we are. Brothers don't want to be smiling up in pictures. Sister, I saw, you know, they all hugged up and standing like this. And, you know, they got their pose and leaning on each other. That's not how brothers get down. We don't want to hug up in pictures, all right? We strike our pose that way. And like I said, there's got to be fire. There's got to be some flames going on. Brothers are bonded over fire and marshmallows right here. That's okay. That's how we get down. Nowadays, the idea of friendship is more confusing than ever. On Facebook, I have literally hundreds of friends. When I read their posts, I think, whoa, that's my friend? I've had to actually, and I hope none of you in this room, I can't remember, but I've had to unfriend some people because of the things they said on, on my Facebook page. I'm like, no, 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 that ain't my friend. I had to unfriend family members because of things they put on Facebook. And this is especially crazy around election year. Oh, my goodness. I just had to suspend account. But, you know, it's confusing nowadays. It's confusing. This poor guy, he has over a thousand friends and followers. What's wrong with that picture? Where are they? He's by himself. But yet he has over a thousand friends and followers on Facebook and Twitter. He's alone. You know, it's interesting that we've become more connected as a society and at the same time, more alone as a society. Isn't that interesting? That we're more connected through social media, yet our relationships haven't deepened at all compared to when we had to make an effort to work on our relationships in the past. Social media gives us a false sense of connection. In fact, there have been studies that says Facebook, and social media sites like it, have actually increased depression in people because they see what their friends are doing. And we don't post all, well, we shouldn't post all those personal things on Facebook, but most people post happy stuff. So when their friends see that all the happy stuff is posted and you're not feeling happy and you really need a friend to talk to and you go to your friend page and all you see is how well everybody's doing but you need to talk to somebody you shouldn't put it out on Facebook you don't feel a connection and you end up feeling more alone than you did when you clicked on your page it leaves us feeling starved relationally you know most men end up loners we don't always start that way but as we grow older, as we age, as 
we, we, we get older, we, we start to drift and become more loners than we did when we were younger. We saw the need for friends when we were younger. But as we get older, we wanted our space. I used to joke around with my wife and say, when I get old and I retire, we're going to have a house. I'm going to buy me a white rocking chair. And I'm going to make fun of all the little kids that walk past my porch. I had a vision of being alone. As I got older, I didn't want to be around a bunch of other grumpy old men. I wanted to be by myself, old and grumpy. Hopefully I'll be senile so I don't get to remember anything. Maybe the Lord will be, be gracious that James forgot so he can't hold me accountable to it. But most men end up loners. And there is an epidemic of men missing in church. You know, it's sad to me that we have on paper a certain number of men in the church, but each week that number doesn't add up. So the men are missing from church, and we have to figure out why. You know, it becomes more challenging the more alone men choose, prefer to be to get men to come out to church and to be a part of a community. So we try to make things more man-friendly to inspire men. We had our warriors retreat this past uh, year, and we wanted to get men refocused and recommitted to God and recommitted to each other. And we got to make things more manly to try to get men out to church. I've even tried to make my sermon shorter so that I don't put brothers to sleep. Because I know a man would prefer to hear a 20-minute message in the 45, whereas a woman would say, keep talking, bro, preach. I hope he heard every single word you said. But we want to do conferences like Stronger and Iron Men and, and things like that. We need to just call flat out, just call it Man Church. Just call it what it is, right? Although most men would rather come to all-woman church because they're looking for a godly woman. That's why half of us came to church in the first place. We didn't come looking for men. We came looking for a godly woman and end up finding Jesus instead. Amen? But the question is, are men finding real relationships in church? Are the men in this room finding the relationships we desire. Over time, we end up alone without those relationships because we stop looking for them. We stop committing to them. And eventually, it can end up with us being alone. Think about what drew us to the church and finally committing to it. You know, I don't know about you, but what drew me to this church was how committed the men in the church were to Jesus. When I saw young men like myself, and I was 23 years old when I first came around. When I saw young men like myself from my neck of the wood, look like me, talk like me, dress like me, committed to Jesus, following Jesus, singing songs to Jesus, I thought, that's what I want. I can be a part of a group like this. And I was just inspired by the men. You know, when you realize how Jesus 
had this ability to not take a group of women to change the world, although there were some amazing women that followed Jesus. Amazing women. We see his ability to change the heart of a man, and we are drawn to it. Even some of the women in the church, when they came and they saw the men in this church, they thought, there's hope for my son. There's hope for my nephew. There's hope for my husband. There's hope for my brother. There's hope for my uncle. There's hope for my co-workers. Because there are men who love God in this church. And they bring them to church. And they want you to make them your friends. Because they see the power of Jesus right here. That's what locked me in. When I saw the men worshiping, singing, and especially leading, when I came to this church, I had no aspirations whatsoever to get married because every married relationship that I had seen in my family had failed. I had no inspiration whatsoever until I saw the men in this church. And I would fellowship these brothers and ask, how long have you been married? 20 years, 15 years. I'm like, what? I didn't even think it was possible anymore. But they were married. And I thought, hey, maybe one day I can get married. Because if he can make it work, then I can make it work. And I wanted to get closer to them. I wanted to be influenced by them. I wanted to learn from them. And I wanted to save the world with these men. And it started with Jesus winning their hearts. And these men giving up and repenting of the cowardice and the fear that kept them from following Jesus. That's right, I said it, cowardice. Some of us don't follow Jesus because we're just flat out cowardly. We're afraid to make the change and that leap of faith that will really bring out the manhood in all of us. Well, I don't know. I don't want to be able to. Don't be a hypocrite. Well, I don't want to be fake. Then don't be fake. Well, I don't want to be phony. I ain't like that. I'll keep it real. Then keep it real and don't be phony and follow Jesus. We got all these excuses as to why we don't want to follow Jesus. Well, I don't know enough. Then learn. Well, I need to get my life together. Let Jesus help you. Let the friends help you. You can't do it on your own. If you did, you would have done it already. Stop making excuses. I was being a coward. That's why I didn't follow Jesus. I had to own up to it. I had to man up to it. That's what I was doing. And I was inspired by what I saw Jesus being able to do in ordinary men like myself. You know, John chapter 15, John chapter 15, we see Jesus talking a little bit about his relationship And our focus this year is the greatest commandment, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, you know, we're talking about loving one another. And Jesus gives this command in John chapter 15. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He's setting himself as the example. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for who? His friends. Notice that for a second, right? When Jesus calls his disciples... It was clear that he was their teacher, their rabbi, their leader. But right here he's saying now, he's calling them friends. I lay down my life for my 
friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus says, I no longer call you friends. Right here we see a progression in this relationship with Jesus. My question to us today is, have our relationships progressed? You can't always be the teacher. At some point, you have to allow yourself to become a friend. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. They started to get to know Jesus. They were spending more time with Jesus. That's how you get to, that's how you become his friend. You spend time with him. You get to know him. And then leave, they left everything to follow Jesus. They referred to him as master, rabbi, teacher, Lord. And rightly so, because he was all those things. But right before he lays down his life, you notice this transition to friendship. Now, how does Jesus consider friends? He goes on, he says, you are my friends. I have called you friends. What Jesus does right here is he said, everything I've made known to you. He shared everything with them. Jesus was vulnerable. He said, everything my father has told me, I now share with you. So he makes this transition from being their Lord, their teacher, their rabbi. Now he makes the transition into you are my friends. And what do we see? We see Jesus put this into practice in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he goes to the cross. What does he do? He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And what does he do? He calls on his friends to come in his time of need. He reaches out to his friends, and then he goes even further, and he calls his closest friends and says, I need you to pray with me. I need you to be with me. Do you have people in your life like that? Do you have men in your life, women in your life that you can call on? who can be there, who will drop what they're doing to be by your side in your greatest time of need. This is the example that Jesus is leaving for all of us to follow. You know, I think about what drew us to this church originally. Most of us, we were probably on a quest for God. Maybe you were honestly seeking the Lord. You wanted to find a church that taught the Bible. You wanted to find a church where the people were serious about God. Maybe that's how it started out for you. But for many of us, the idea of relationships wasn't a lure. We thought about, man, you know, these people seem really close and, and, and they like each other. You know, I've been to churches, people couldn't wait to get out. They, the doors be swinging open and people leaving so fast. But these people, they actually like to be with each other. I like that. And usually it starts out, we give up everything. We make Jesus Lord. And then we sacrifice. We make these transitions in our relationships. First, someone 
is in, in our life is teaching us to obey everything, and we call them our disciples, and, and then we have our ministry leaders, and we have our small group leaders, and we have all these, these relationships and these levels of relationships, but eventually we have to make a transition in these relationships with God and with one another. Do you consider Jesus a friend? You see, there's a transition where we go from when we're infants in Christ and, and everything is, is Jesus is our Lord. And we do it because we have to, because this is what he commands. But Jesus right here is saying in John 15, now I want you to do as I say because you love me. Now, obviously, that should always have been from the beginning. But now Jesus takes the relationship even deeper. I want you to do it because you love me. You know, when, when couples get married, we put a lot of stock in the vows they make. And we like it when they share open vows. We don't, you know, we get all, come on, why, did, why are you doing silent vows? I want to hear what she said. I want to hear what he said, you know. And we, we make these vows, right, to each other. And, and we expect each other to, to hold to those vows, Right? And for those of us who are in the room, and I was there, I heard what you said, bro. You said you were going to worship the ground she walked on, quote, unquote. I was right there. I heard every word. And we, we remind each other when we're when we dropping the ball, right? But who wants to be married to someone because they have to be married to you? You don't want to come home every day because you have to. I don't want my wife to be married to me because she has to fulfill her vow that she made on April 8th, 2000. That's right, I remember. <laughs> I want her to come home to me because she wants to, because she loves me. What child would want his parents to love them, and do all the things that we do for our children because you have to. Jesus wants us to make this transition in our relationship that our obedience comes from love and not only from a sense of duty, but because we love him and because he's our friend. That's called friendship. That's called friendship. Why do we come out to church? Because we realized that there was something missing in our lives. In Proverbs 18, verse 24, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's really what we want. We want someone who's going to stick closer to us than even our own family. Because we know sometimes our family relationships can be strained. And to have someone in your life that will stick with you through thick and thin, even through relations. Uh, difficult relationships in your family, that's a special kind of friend. Now, we all have companions in our lives. We all have people, associates that we encounter every day at work or at school or whatever have you, but is that what we really want? I mean, you want people who are in your life who's your friend. You know, this word companion in Hebrew, Rafe, it means associate, fellow companion a neighbor, someone in your company. It doesn't really uh, make that, that connection on the heart level that we really desire right there. So we can have a lot of companions. That's not what Jesus was going after. Jesus wasn't looking for a bunch of companions. 
Jesus was looking for something deeper. The friend, a friend who sticks close, the Hebrew word Ahab, Ahab, uh, belo- it, it means beloved, lover. It can be uh, defined in a, in a romantic way, you know, uh, as a lover, or it can be a beloved friend. It can have a more intimate meaning, but it's a lot closer than a companion. And when you look at what Jesus was building, he was building a deeper relationship with his brothers. In fact, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was the only one who got a chance to call Jesus his best friend. I mean, how would, how would you like to be called the one that Jesus loved? I mean, the Bible made a, uh, it made a, uh, a point to point that out, that they were very close, that they had a bond that was even closer than the other, other disciples. And that's what Jesus wants us to have in Greek. Phileos means the same, beloved, lover, dearly loved, also can mean a beloved friend. And Jesus was looking for friends that were, go, that were a lot deeper than just companions. He didn't want associates. And that was his goal, his true friendship with the few people that he can trust. And the Bible teaches that he didn't entrust himself to everyone because he knew it was in the heart of men. I'm not saying to go out there and try to make a hundred best friends. But we do need to strive to have a few close friends in our lives that will stick closer to us than a brother. People that we can count on. And so throughout this series, we're going to talk a lot about David and Jonathan as, as being the example uh, and the lens that we're going to look through when we talk about friendship. Because they exhibit probably one of the closest relationships that we find in the scriptures. Now, David and Jonathan had what's called a covenant relationship. They didn't have a lot in common. But they did have a few things in common, but they didn't have a whole lot in common. But that wasn't the thing that bounded them to their relationship. But it's a great, relation, it's a great example of what a covenant relationship is. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is a legal contract. It's an agreement like your cell phone contract. I know we don't never read through them things, but it is a contract. And we know if you try to get out of that contract, there is a penalty fee, right? $250, maybe even more. But that's a legal contract. Your lease on your apartment, that is a legal contract. You're telling the landlord, I am bound to this apartment for whatever time it's on the lease. And if you break the lease, there's a penalty. So... David and and, and Jonathan sets the example here by making this relationship and they made a promise to each other in the the area of a contract. And I thought that that was really, you know, intriguing because how many people would make a promise to another person outside of marriage, bro, I am committed to you, no matter what. What happens? Reminds me of Ruth and, and um, what's her name? And Naomi, right? Naomi said, wherever you go, I'll go. Your Lord will be my, my Lord. Your God will be my, your people will be my people. She made, that was a covenant relationship right there. She bounded herself to Ruth. And I think that was a very powerful thing. We don't often see that a lot with brothers. Sometimes it only takes one act of disrespect 
to sever that relationship. And we got to be deeper than that, brother. Satan is trying to tear us apart. He's trying to tear us apart. And we have to show him that our love for one another is a lot deeper than just being associates every week that we see on a Sunday or a Wednesday. You know, we see the story that David had just slayed Goliath. Just to give us some context here. Context. And, and after Saul, you know, Jonathan and the whole Israelite army had taunted this giant every day. I mean, they taunted him for every day for like over a month and a half. Nobody did anything. And here comes this little shepherd boy named David who steps into the scene and he goes to the king. He says, look, I'll take care of the situation for you. David goes, he slays, Goli- he slays Goliath, and almost instantaneously, he and Jonathan become friends. But you'll notice that David wasn't the one who reached out to Jonathan. So, in 1 uh, Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4, it says, As David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and his sword and his bow and his belt. It says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. You know, there's this chasm of uncomfortability if there's such a word, well, I think brothers have to cross over. Where well, we are uncomfortable showing another man affection or expressing this kind of devotion without feeling wheezy and queasy. And it says that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. He was not afraid to tell David how he felt about him. He was not afraid to show David. He gave to David. He was not afraid to give to him because he loved him. And they made a commitment to one another. Now, these guys were very different. And oftentimes we look for people who are just like us. We come in, we look, where am I going to sit? You look for somebody who looks like you or looks like somebody you would want to be around, and then you go and you sit next to that person, right? Sometimes even in our evangelism, we look for people, we want to share, the Spirit's saying, hey, talk to somebody, and we're looking for people who look like us, who's not as intimidating, and we talk to them. And that's natural. We're drawn to people who are like us. But these two men were absolutely different. I mean, when you think about David, David was a shepherd. And the musician, you didn't have a whole lot of friends out there with you in the field when you're with a bunch of sheep. That was a lonely job. They didn't have a, a shepherd's club or a shepherd's committee for him to go to for encouragement. He was out there by himself practicing his, his music and his slingshot. He had a lot of time to be alone. He was not close to his brothers. We see that when David went to the front lines to ask what was going on while the army was standing uh, aside while this giant is, is uh, yelling out these threats. His brothers were getting at him because they didn't appreciate it. They thought that David was being arrogant. 
So he didn't have a great relationship with his brothers. He wasn't close to his dad. We don't really know if he was close to his father. It doesn't really show that David was close to his dad or not. Um, but it's interesting how he forgot about him when Saul came to anoint him. His dad wasn't there. It doesn't really say that his dad was present. And, you know, I believe, too, that our family dynamic can have a huge impact on our ability to succeed in relationships. Depending on how you were raised and how you, were grow up, how you grew up in your home, whether you were close to your siblings or not, or close to your parents, or I, it really can have an impact on how close you are to other people and how far you let people into your life. And it, if you read the story of David, it shows that David wasn't a great father himself. If you look at it, if you do a deeper study on it. He was not a great father, but he did inspire men, but he didn't always treat them well. Remember the story of Hiriah the Hittite. What did he do with him? Sent him to the front lines, had him killed, then slept with his wife. That's not a good friend. And David was a loner, which was suited for kingship. Because when you're at the top, you have very few friends. And David would just rather be alone when his Psalm 22 verse 23 verse 2 says, making me lay down in green pastures and leading me beside quiet waters. I can imagine David writing that when he was alone. This loner nature will eventually come into play post-Jonathan and David's relationship. And it almost led to David's destruction. When David committed that act against Bathsheba, the Bible says that he was alone. Had he had a good friend by his side, maybe they would have talked some sense into him. Oftentimes, when we get into trouble, it's because we're alone or have been alone over an extended period of time. So how about Jonathan? What do we know about Jonathan? Well, he was the son of the king. He was always around people. He had servants. He had people around him all the time. He had the army. He was the head of the army. I mean, he had people around him all the time. He grew up. He was the future son of the king. He was never alone. Um, he always had issues. He had issues with his father as well. He was supposed to be the next in line, but he did not, for some reason, did not appeal to uh, Saul. But we also know that that was part of God's plan eventually, but he lived up to his father's expectation. He lived up to the nation's expectation. In fact, there was a time when Jonathan got tired of sitting around and said, hey, let's do something. He got his armor bearer. Come on, let's go start a fight. And they went up, and that inspired the men while his father was sitting under a tree. But imagine the pressure he had to lead. So there was a lot of issues there as well. But he was also a leader of men. He was a warrior himself. He was the initiator of this friendship. When you think about it, it should have been the other way around. Jonathan was the soon-to-be king. David was a lonely shepherd boy. But instead, it was Jonathan who reached out to David. Now, you'll also notice about this relationship that it's onset that in most instances going forward, Jonathan was the initiator of the covenant. He was the giver in the relationship. He was the one who loved first. 
And now, why is that important? Well, when you think about it, can any relationship work if there's not an initiator or a giver in the relationship? If both people are takers in the relationship, then that's not going to work. Someone has to be the initiator. Someone has to be the giver in the relationship. Now, it seems like it's lopsided, but that's mostly how most relationships work. Someone reaches out to someone, and they, they form the relationship. Whether you meet at a party, whether you meet at a devotional, whether you meet at church, someone initiates the friendship. Someone initiates the relationship. And you ask me, well, can that work? Absolutely. Absolutely. But our goal is to eventually become more of an initiator. Because you don't always want to be the taker in the relationship. So my question to us is, are you a loner or are you an initiator? Now, this is a picture of an actual men's retreat. Not Harlem, by the way. I just want to put that out there. But you notice this group right here, right? The group right here on my right, it's a group of men, married guys, older single guys. You notice how far apart they're sitting? Some brothers even have a whole row dividing them. This side right here is the campus and teen section. You notice how close they are. They're a little closer to each other than this group. Now, for the most part, most of us start off here. Whether you were a teen or a campus or whatever, initially you were thriving and, and thirsting for those close relationships. But then as we mature, we start to cross over to the other side. We become more loners. We want more me time. And we start out with this level of comfortability with one another. We're open about our lives. We tell each other everything. But then we start to shift over. We start to become more closed in. We start to become more inward. And when God created man, what did he say? It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. You know, I remember before becoming a Christian, you know, my first covenant relationship was with a young man named Omar Bonet. And he reached out to me. I'm standing outside of BMCC campus. He walked over to me and asked me simply if I wanted to study the Bible. And I said yes. And he had been, he been the initiator ever since. I don't think I called him once except to reply to a text message. Well, not a text, well, a pager. Back in those days, we had beepers. And some of them would, would relay a message across the screen to say, you got a message, call this 1-800 number, put in your eight-digit pin. You guys remember, you know, I know I'm dating myself, but anyway. But the only time I would initiate is when he called me and I'm returning his call. But for the most part, that was my first covenant relationship. This guy reached out to me, and he would keep calling me and following up with me and calling me and following up with me. And that's how it started. He was the giver. He was the teacher. He was more uh, emotionally uh, in touch, and he was more uh, responsive and expressive than I was. I took everything in that he was teaching me. 
But he was absolutely the initiator in our relationship. How many of us have relationships like that? You think about it. Someone who studied the Bible with you. Who did most of the giving? Who did most of the giving? Who did most of the initiating? They were probably calling you, reminding you, okay, church is at 10 o'clock. Make sure you're not late. Hey, are we still getting together to study? They were probably doing most of the phone calls. More of the reaching out. But there was no sense of competitiveness between us. There was no sense of, 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 of envy or, or jealousy between us. He gave a lot more than I did in that relationship. And you know, for most, our, our covenant relationship starts off with us becoming Christians. Someone being committed to us. But we need to make sure that we're not just takers for life. Eventually, we need to become the one who's initiating, who's doing more giving to others, especially to those that we're, tro- we're hoping to bring to Christ Jesus. You know, are you a giver to the lost? Do others, uh, do, you, do you initiate to others? Are you initiating with our young Christians, those who are new in the faith? They need people giving to them. You know, you may think, well, he should know. He should call me. He should. No, not, you don't say that to a child. Those who are young in the faith are still trying to get their, their, their heart and their life behind the Christian schedule, this new life and commitment to reading and praying and, and coming to everything. So, yes, it's going to take you committing more. It's going to take you initiating more, and we need to get used to that. It's going to require us being the giver, the initiator, the follow-upper, the pursuer. In John 15, Jesus says, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. There's a vulnerability when we initiate these relationships. And I remember these brothers sitting down with me studying the Bible. They shared their whole entire lives with me. They opened up about their struggles with me. They were very vulnerable. And I'd never had a relationship like that in my life. And it drew me closer to these men. It drew me closer. But vulnerability is vital to a covenant relationship. We need that. You know, initially, this is how it starts out. Their contribution to the relationship is a lot bigger than ours. Your contribution is very little. Maybe they treated you to Starbucks, picked you up, brought you to church, called you, woke you up. And then after a few years have passed, it's like, wait a second, how come you ain't called me and wake me up for church this morning? We haven't been to Starbucks in a couple years. What happened? Because you've been all the takers, the taker for the whole time. It's time we start initiating a little more. See, this is a challenge of building relationships is initiating more. Is not waiting for people to always come to us and give to us. You know, we, we, we did a survey. We're going to talk more about this at our midweek coming up this week. But this is indicative to discipling relationships in our church. Half the church are givers and half the church are takers. And we'll never develop those deep friendships that we desire until we have more givers than we have takers in our church. 
We have to increase this, this pie right here. Sometimes the challenge we build, you know, we find ourselves giving the same and we're wondering why it's so hard to make new friendships. And we find ourselves saying things like, well, I don't feel close to anyone anymore. Or we don't love each other like we used to as a church. So that's why I don't give as much. Well, I'm trying to find a new group anyway. So once I decide on that, I'm just going to be here. Or I need to find someone that can relate to me. I need to find someone that can relate to my situation because nobody understands what I'm going through. Who here has had a situation in the past year, a crisis, or something you had to go through? We all have something. We, go, we may not be able to relate to your unique situation, but we can, relate, we can relate to having a situation. Every one of us has gone through some sort of crisis. And what makes it work is that we understand that, man, we're going to go through life, but you don't have to go through it alone. You don't have to go through it alone. Well, this is the culture of our church. I think I might look somewhere else for another church. Guess what? Wherever you go, this is an issue. And if you don't deal with you, you take you wherever you go. So if you're a taker here, you're going to be a taker wherever you go. And when you go to another church, you're going to be waiting for people to come to you and say hi. They don't even, they're not even friendly in this church. Nobody said hi to me. I've been here like five times already. That's because you're used to being a taker. Why don't you try saying hi or hello? Hey, I, I haven't spoken to you. This is my, why don't you try initiating? You would be surprised. But if you sit back and your expectation is always gimme, 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 eventually you're going to be disappointed. It's no wonder that a dog is considered man's best friend. You don't have to do really anything aside from taking them out, to use the bathroom and feeding them. Dogs are easy for the most part. You give very little compared to your relationship with a dog. The dog contributes a lot more to the relationship than we do. You know, we owned a 90-pound boxer one time, and we would, you know, we, would ha we had to work, and so he had to stay in his crate, and we would come home, and I didn't have any issues to talk through with him. It wasn't like he got out of his crate and was like, dude, you could have called, man. I mean, you was gone all day. Where's my food? Come on, let's go. I got to go to the bathroom. I mean, it, we didn't have to talk to any issues. He would always jump and happy to see me. And it was like that every single day. Every day. He was more given. Every time I'd be like, get away. I'm, I'm tired. And he would come and he would lay right near my feet. Quick to forgive quick to forgive. We didn't have any issues to work out. There's that I love you unconditional. Now, if that was a cat, that chart would be flipped around. Cats would be like, yeah, just, just go. Just, just make sure my, my, you know, take care of that over there. 
Covenant relationships look more like this. This is probably more realistic. There's always going to be someone who initiates more. Bro, can we get together to pray? Can we pray together in the morning, sis? Can we get together for disciple time? Can we hang out? And that's okay to a degree. That's okay because there has to be someone who initiates in the relationship. There has to be. And once that, once you, once that rela- relationship is, is reciprocated, you know, what ends up happening is you give more. If you're not the initiator, eventually you start to initiate more because you realize that you're in a covenant relationship, that this relationship is only going to work if we both give in a relationship. 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4, you know, Jonathan took off his, his, uh, his robe he was wearing and he gave it to David. He lowered himself to David. He lowered himself to David. He outranked David. He was wealthier than David. He was more... Um, he, his future was more secure than David, but Jonathan lowered himself to David. He reached down to David. He initiated with David. And it's very similar in, in the same way that Jesus lowered himself with us. In Hebrews 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at Present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus initiated. Some of us would have never been in a relationship with Jesus today if he had not reached out to us. Jesus did all the heavy lifting in our relationship. He carried the cross. He died for our sins. Jesus did the big part. He initiated, and we can still be friends with Jesus. You'll never be able to outgive Jesus. But it doesn't stop us from repenting and being more initiators. In Luke 22, verse 20, it says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the covenant, the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The covenant became binding with the shedding of Jesus' blood. Jesus signed, sealed, and delivered this covenant relationship by dying for us on the cross. So imagine if everyone in the church were bonded, were connected, each of us involved in a covenant relationship where we're initiating, where we're giving, and not just taking. Imagine what our church would feel like. Imagine what our church would be like if we took out time for one another, if we were more initiators with the lost like we used to be. Imagine if we were more committed to initiating in these covenant relationships. Our church would truly be one that would glorify God and be a place where Jesus would send people who deeply desire and need these godly relationships. Next week, we're going to talk about commitment to relationship, recommitting to our relationships. Thank you, and to God be the glory.